Here we've got episode 269. How's your posture? What about your knees, your hips, your feet, your back? Does any of that hurt on a regular basis? Sadly, the modern world isn't designed for this human body. Instead, we treat the body as a meat sleeve responsible for getting our brains to meetings, and as a consequence, we have a culture where it's normal for your joints, muscles, and bones to be in pain, to have an injury, and it's normal for most that they don't move their body to keep themselves well. The interesting thing is that all of this stuff isn't just about the physical. Your emotions can contribute to particular injuries and limitations, and in today's conversation, we get stuck into the link that brings the mind and the feelings together with the body, so you can actually fix the problems that you've got. We also talk about how to improve your compliance to the help that you are given by your physical therapists, and we have a bit of a conversation about how terrible modern shoes are, and we talk about the barefoot shoe movement, which I think you should really look into, and I say that as someone that has benefited tremendously from shifting to barefoot shoes. There is lots of good stuff here, and now it is time. So let's dive in. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? It's you, me, and another whiz-bang amazing conversation that hopefully reduces your overwhelm and moves you to action, making that actual change that needs to occur, which if you're ready to do, uh, guess what? It's the year to do it because in 2023, it's my mission to coach 500 people to stop the binge eating and savage self-talk cycle so they can lose weight whilst feeling in control and without restriction along the way. And if you want to be one of those 500 people and you want to permanently deal with your emotional binge or overeating cycles, then scroll down to the show notes below and click the link to inquire about my programs. I would love to, um, I'd love to be there with you along the journey, but it is a very tricky uh, journey to navigate on your own. And so if you want some of that accountability and some of that emotional support, scroll down to the show notes, click the link, and then let's walk the path together, basically. Um, now, today's guest comes along with some pretty sweet street cred from the big dog, Craig Harper over at The You Project. I want you to meet Anna Goldsworthy, whom is an exercise scientist with a master's degree in exercise rehab, with work experience in hospitals and research teams on various levels. And to quote Craig Harper directly from a conversation we had over a coffee not too long ago, Anna is the body whisperer. That's a, that's a pretty profound testimonial. <laughs> She's been in the space for over 20 years and is developing what she does to involve the mind and the nervous system as an imperative piece of the health and disease management conversation. And you know, if you listen to these episodes regularly, I absolutely love talking about the mindset and beliefs and the way we think in the context of our health. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Anna. How are you? Hi, Maddie. I'll have to pay Craig <laughs> for his, <laughs> for his uh, um, very generous yeah, whisperer. I love that. It's a little the bit body creepy, whisperer. but yeah, <laughs> it's a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I'll take well, I, it. I remember when we when we caught up and he was saying, "Oh, you know, Anna's going to send you an email, and you've got to catch up with her." He was like, "You can, she can just look at you and know what's wrong with you, like the way you're holding yourself. She just can figure it out." <laughs> uh, I think that'll come a little bit too from I was sitting at one of his talks and I was right at the back. I was huddling away because I had my little one with me at the time. And um, he'd recently hurt his back and I was looking at him and we'd done a bit of work on him before and I was looking at him and I was like, one of his tibias was just just the weirdest position. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's what we're working on next. 
<laughs> that'll <laughs> impact you back. Wow. So because, and we were talking about this before we hit record, you have a breadth of experience and you work in a bunch of different areas. So maybe just to give some context, what are you all about? What do you do? And then we'll take it from there. Okay. All right. Uh, what am I about? I think for listeners to make sense, because we, we always think of like exercise as a physical thing. Mm-hmm. So from that physical point of view, it really is um, why the left, not the right. So when people come with things that are challenging them in performance or there's a movement pattern that's not quite right, being able to delve into what's made up this person's biomechanics from day dot to the day that you're standing in front of me and being able to assess that and then integrate things that just don't match back into movement patterns and get things moving a little bit more smoothly. And that comes down to really, um, you know, what we were built for, like understanding gait really amazingly and being able to integrate and manipulate that to support someone doing better. So from that biomechanics, musculoskeletal point of view, that's that's part of it. But then ultimately when we're we're meeting people, we really should be also listening out for what else is in that story that's going to impact how well the body's going to accept change from a nervous system point of view. Where are they at with their mindset with committing to long-term change? Uh, Also, I think the fitness industry has really bullied some bodies around where like we need to be doing a certain thing or it has to happen in a certain time schedule, but it's when we're really committing to what does a healthy body feel like, look like, act like for me over all the years of my life as I go through these critical windows and across my lifespan? What's my mind telling me that gets in the way of all of that? So, yeah, taking on one human at a time and then that really tricky thing of how do we compartmentalise that and then deliver it to a room of people and make it meaningful too, you know, as a speaker, many people in a room. So yeah, it's constant refining and dodging and getting to know people's stories, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's good work. There's so many things in there that I'm like, Oh, I want to go down that rabbit hole and that rabbit hole and that rabbit hole. But you mentioned in there, um, like, you know, how our body operates across the different stages of life and in different chapters and, but also understanding what our bodies were designed to do. Now, I can imagine, you know, you've probably seen and maybe the listeners have seen too that um, evolution graphic where it's like got the monkeys and they're bent down <laughs> and then that goes up to the standing human and then the last one is like a hunched over person at a desk. Um, and so, how, like, how were our bodies meant to move? Because I feel like everything we're doing is the opposite of how our bodies were designed to move and function and we don't move them anywhere near enough. We don't stand up straight. We don't walk in bare feet like, anymore. You know, we've got these sh- ra- these shoes. We're walking on these random shapes all day. Like what what's going on in that space of what we were actually designed for versus where we are now? I feel like we need a sociologist on board as well to kind of wrap it, <laughs> wrap it up. Like where does the industrial era come into it? Yeah. I had this amazing... Uh, a tutor back in the day and they pulled this idea in that's kind of that sits with me like different generations in history where we would move differently so after war the great depression and that the physical actual presentations of our postures and our bodies 
representing sociologically what's going on mm-hmm. and you then coming out of war and dances that are coming through, like through um, cultures like the twist and the hula hoop, like when oh. we finally started freeing up the waste, like I'm no expert at it, but that kind of pops into my mind with those kinds of questions like, you know, where are we at and how is what's going on in our really zoomed out version of a lens impacting impacting our bodies. And mm-hmm. I think um, I think there's a lot to say in terms of uh, like posture and even in your world with nutrition and how food's accepted by the gut and all those kinds of things where we might get really uh, rigid with this idea about posture, but I think we also need to look at how someone is emotionally and how that is represented in their posture. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, is that something that's been there chronically and then how organs or the impact of how we've developed over time created a signature in the way that we move or the way we carry ourselves. And then, you know, pregnancy, for example, we've got this kind of huge change, like about squished up insides. (laughs) And then, you know, once we've got that baby uh, earth side, our identity changing, our posture, the demands on us. So I think it's really interesting when we look at posture and that kind of idea of not just looking for it to look a certain way but really being able to get down to the nitty-gritty because we can have people with their heads on top of their bodies but they're still in pain. So it's like, okay, so what can't move to allow that to be adaptable versus you know, needing to be particularly upright, but definitely a big fan of the squishing shoes, feet into shoes conversation. Yeah, I'm a bit of so. a yeah, I'm a bit of a a foot nut. Like, you know, what do we what do we need to make sure is moving in the foot so that it ripples through the body or what? What do you think about barefoot me? shoes? Barefoot shoes, I think, um, like most commercial things, are. Uh, got very exciting for people very quickly Mm -hmm. and I think it's settling into something that's really valuable for people now where we're looking at the the um the breadth of the forefoot in the shoe and that toes are able to get in there and move um that we've got the opportunity to I guess feel the ground more but I don't think we can excuse that we're also still on concrete most of the time yeah, or hard so surfaces. Yeah. Yeah. So we might be cruising around and then, you know, we've got these barefoot shoes on. So in theory, we're getting great spread, but is our body able to accept the shock forces that we're sending through them? So I think barefoot mm. shoes are a real evolution from the production point of view. So if you've yeah. gone from a really solid shoe to cruising through into a barefoot shoe, mm-hmm. that it is it can be an actual purchase journey. Yeah, but that your yeah. foot and your body should be going through that journey as well with you to make sure that you've got that mobility. Yeah, in your body as well as um, in your foot, and then that's where posture gets represented, right? Like if I can be adaptable in my posture, mm-hmm. represent my emotions, but then come back into a center. I kind of like thinking of it as a spectrum, like your posture on your emotion spectrum as well as when we yeah. can glide either way and adapt our body with our emotions mm-hmm. but always be able to come back to the centre but we need to be able to, you know, slide in, in both directions. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, feet are amazing. We don't care for them enough. Yeah, being yeah. able to connect with them as well. Like yep. they just get shoved in shoes. <laughs> Uh, and I wear a high heel here and there, but I just know what to do to take my foot out of the high heel and bring it back to the ground, what movements to do. 
Yeah, I did a heap of, um, I've done lots of sport in my life, but I was doing yeah. a lot of running when I was at uni. Um, I was living with the strength and conditioning coach of the Geelong Cats, so an Australian, you know, elite football team. Um, and and like everyone was hyper fit. So I just became a part of the culture, except they were a few years older than me and had plenty of money. And I was a broke uni <laughs> student. And yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I was doing so much running with them in just absolutely knackered shoes. And we did this one like race, I maybe half marathon or maybe it was 12 or 15. I don't know what it was. Um, but after that day, I basically had daily foot pain for the rest of my life. Um, and I tried so many things. Uh, and this was before I was, um, you know, sort of de-indoctrinated out of the Western medical thinking into the, where I am now. I was very yeah. much like medicine and, you know, got to go to the podiatrist. And and I tried all of these different things. And it wasn't until I purchased barefoot shoes and even running around the hospital all day. So I was still very much in the hospital. It was about, I probably began this journey about eight years ago. And I, I read that I needed to spend about six months slowly working my way into the barefoot shoes. So I do my, my normal work shoes for like, you know, four days a week, then one day at the hospital. And then I'd go to two days. And I did that over six months. And basically no foot pain after about a year, once I'd been in barefoot shoes, even on the concrete, even on everything. And then, and then I got runners, barefoot runners as well. Um, and, and, I, and they have different um, padding that you can buy. You can buy a bit, you know, it's a little bit more padding in there, but being able to have that spread. And I had sore calves and sore, you know, knees and stuff for a little while, but I also saw um, a chiropractor at the same time that was a specialist in barefoot shoes and she helped my hips and stuff. And it's been transformative getting the footwear. And now when I do squish my feet into dress shoes so that I, yeah. you know, don't look like, <laughs> you know, a weirdo in a suit, um, like I, I pay the price for like two or three days, like because the barefoot feels so natural to me. It's pretty wild. I, I um, squeeze my shoes into some acceptable corporate shoes the other day and <laughs> I had to walk, walk through the city and yeah my hips were just talking to me the yeah. whole time they were like oh ow, 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 ow. <laughs> and it really is that you know how yeah is our body prepared to take these ground reaction forces that we're dealing with and that was yeah really interesting and I think the other thing is that they were slipperier mm, right but it's same as you I feel that difference because I've spent most of my day with no shoes on and, yep. you know, working with my feet in particular ways to make sure that they're, they're as healthy as possible. We've got as <laughs> many joints in our feet as we do as our spine and we're just, we're obsessed with the spine, you know, you've got lower back pain or focus on the spine, but yeah. you know, what else is this body telling me where, you know, uh, there's, there's a saying, uh, he who chases pain is lost. It's like, okay, it's, this is where we're feeling it, but we're, you know, other than being hit in the back with, you know, a baseball bat or something, it's probably coming from some other place in your yeah. body. And that's that's what you want your therapist to be able to nut out, problem solve the human jigsaw puzzle. Well, that's one of the issues that I found when I was hunting around because I eventually just surrendered to the fact that I'll have sore feet for the rest of my life because I also grew up in this typical Australian culture of, people just their bodies hurt it's just a thing you know as you yeah. age and I wasn't old I was 20s but you're surrounded by these people that are just like you get old you get fat you get sore like yeah. and it, it just is so I just also surrendered to that fact until I sort of yeah took it into my own hands which is often the conversation we hear in the health space of 
people, you know, waking up to nutrition or waking up to different alternative medicines because they had to take it into their own hands. And everyone that I'd ever seen, nobody talked to me about my entire posterior chain. They just focused on my feet. And it's like, but it's all connected. It's just like the idea that doctors or some doctors don't, you know, don't really give nutrition any credence at all. And it's like, hang on, it doesn't just go into your stomach. Those molecules go into every cell in your body, right? <laughs> and so it's it's the same with the posterior chain, which leads into the the posture, you know, conversation, and all the way up the body, mm. not just the feet and the ankles. Yeah, yeah, all those chains. How do they interact? How do they make sure that when we move, it massages our stomach? That we breathe, it massages our stomach and pulls on our spinal cord to massage our brain. Like, you know, what's the what's the interaction in all of those places? It's yeah, it's funny though the rules that we have, like you get sore or don't complain or, you know, mm. you know, pain, gain pain, all those kinds of ideas and that, yeah, but it does, it really is bothersome when we just forego or give up our vitality because, you know, movement's a young person's thing. It's like, mm. no, 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 no. We just have to figure out where you're at, start where you're at and build as we, as we can and we need to. And also just finding those holes, like what's, What's missing in the holistic story of your life? You know, what are you, where are your stress levels at? Are you seeing Maddie for your nutrition? Are you, <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Are you, you know, where's your mindset at and how's that represented in your body? Because I think the other thing that's important for people is sometimes exercise isn't the answer or their understanding of what exercise looks like isn't the answer. So being able to come to someone that can, help assess the body, help assess their total, you know, load of what's going on in every system in their body and then pull apart what's the best place to start. You might want to be here, but this is where we need to start and build from and see how your body responds in the systems that are important to us, you know, rather than it being about body shape is is actually your outcome and mental health outcome and then we'll choose tools that are appropriate for that. Mm -hmm. So we stop comparing ourselves to everyone else, you know, this person's doing this, or maybe I should be doing more, or maybe I should be doing less, or there's never yeah. less. So everyone feels like they should be doing more. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. And yeah. I like the word movement too, because I, I often get people to reframe their goals around movement because it's usually I have to do this strenuous, sweaty, hardcore exercise. And if I don't do that, then I didn't achieve the goal. And it's like, now let's just take it back a few notches and just make the goal movement, which includes a walk around the block. Includes mm. yoga, you know, includes stretching, and then you know, it's not like as you said before, a, an individual's definition of what exercise should be might not be the tool they actually need. Yeah, and just even checking in with what's my body saying to me that it needs. Like we've got movement as an option, as you said right at the very start. Just actually getting out of your chair. Just shapes are really valuable, I think, as a word to give to people. It's like, okay, every 45 minutes, just aim to change the shape that you're in. So if you've been sitting, stand. If you've been standing, go for a walk. If you've been walking, sit down. Like just making it simple, uh, just that lovely idea that our muscles don't know their labels. They just know that they need to be stimulated and they need to be moved. Mm -hmm. And that's how we get these amazing impacts in all the other systems in our body that, um, yeah, same as nutrition, that medicinal impact of, of moving and figure out what's what's right for you at the moment, not sort of pulling yourself into the future yeah, where you're not really at. 
You mentioned a, a few times or alluded to the like the emotional aspect of how one holds themselves or th- the way that things show up in the body. Can you just talk to that area too? Because I think, you know, in my mind, that conversation makes me think of things like acupuncture and kinesiology and energy medicine and all of those kind of, you know, ideas that, you know, we can feel our feelings in really specific locations that result in physical pain or result mm. in, you know, even disease situations in some contexts. Yeah, I guess uh, to like, there's the logical things about you know dispersing pain, uh, moods. Like some people might be in a mood and they choose to go for a walk and all those kinds of things, which is interesting because I guess from an acceptance and commitment therapy point of view, we would also pause and go, okay, are we avoiding a feeling by doing that? Mm-hmm. Are we, you know, just trying to get rid of it when we actually it actually comes up often and we need to be mindful of how workable that feeling is or the action that's preceded that feeling, how workable that thing is and can we adapt that into a more workable behaviour that then means we're not just in the same loop with avoidance and things like that. Yeah, I think people's uh, readiness to change or willingness to change in terms of, you know, approaching movement as well, like sensations in their body that might not feel like they're accepting of so we might think of people that have had major changes in their bodies so someone with ms or a stroke and that there's a there's a grief going on about things that are lost or actual tactile uh, or physical challenges where you know i i like the idea of being healthier but the overwhelming feeling of these sensations in my body that just make me sad or that I just want to avoid that feeling of my body not being exactly what I want it to be and dealing with that grieving process. Um, I think as well, I think that big bit is about being clear about is where those feelings are as well. So in ACT we'll be able to, the plan is to figure out what's the biggest problem and how does that stop us from being healthy mm-hmm. and how can we give tools that allow us to be aware of those things and strategize away from them. So, you know, the urge to stay at the computer and then the conversation is all about how we've got bloating and discomfort or we've got pain and it's okay. So what's contributing to that? And it really comes down to uh, I don't see my family. I'm overcommitted in my work. Uh, I can't, I, you know, I'm busy and I've got this, you know, label for myself that is mind-blowingly um, strong to me, my in identity and how do I, you know, get in touch with that? That's not actually workable. Yeah. And then how do we put those feelings and embody them and see where they, where they actually present themselves in your body? So stress levels that present as chronic pain, actual, uh, I guess, a yogis would talk about the solar plexus or acupuncture with the, you know, yeah. not just the solar plexus, sorry, all of the, the meridians. All those meridians in the body, exactly. And that these, you know, where are they? What color are they? And can we diffuse them and choose a more meaningful action that matters to you that helps us to not get in this place again? So it's not trying to get rid of feelings, but it's going, hey, these feelings are there for a reason and what's the workable and unworkable behaviours around them. I think that's a real pin for people is we go on fitness trends and, you know, all that yeah. kind of stuff, but 
how do we truly commit to being healthy, whether it's with nutrition or movement or whatever, sleep, how do we commit to doing what we say we would like rather than having this huge gap between our intentions and our behaviours? So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. I'm, I'm curious as well. Um, literally every time you talk, I'm like, oh, there's so much I want to talk about. Um, it's amazing. Um, but in, in regards to that emotional stuff, I, you know, often with the idea that emotions are stored in particular places in the body, mm. it makes me think of acupuncture. And it's funny that you use the word pin as well, because, you know, many people talk about the experience of having a big emotional release when they get acupuncture or even in yoga and the, the hip hinge movement in yoga is really known um, particularly for women and depending on the conversation you have some people think it's like because that really triggers the area of the womb and that yeah. part of the reproductive part of their body and there's, so there's a lot of emotional release that happens for women particularly in that particular position but what do you what do you think is going on there in context of you know it's a it's it it goes in and out of the woo-woo, you know, this kind of conversation and then into the physical and then back out to the woo-woo. But like yeah. how do you think that idea exists in the physical nervous system in specific locations? Um, I think it's, it can be definitely personal. I think there's, you know, there's, there's archetypes and I don't feel like I can compartmentalise them effectively. I'm not a full trauma-informed um, practitioner. But certainly when I'm going through this process of getting to know someone's body, we're literally mapping things out. So what's happened here in your feet, what's happened in your ankles, da, da, da. Have we, uh, has there been anything that's happened to your body that wasn't your choice? Mm-hmm. Has there anything been put in you or taken out of you? So surgeries and things, um, scars and the um, amazing impact of movement systems being interrupted by scars as well as uh, stored grief and things like that. So like I'm having uh, case study memories as I'm talking away, but this idea of, you know, when pain pops up and doesn't go away and it's always on one side, you know, can we have a conversation about is there something that's meaningful to you that happened on that side of your body that is part of your story that you're either attached to or wanting to detach from 
that will allow us to create more space and freedom in your movement. Um, and then the cesarean scars in particular are really interesting. Or scars because they often represent something being lost. So it's this, you know, someone's just spoke to a fellow this morning who's ripped his hamstring off his <laughs> off his ischial tuberosity. So he'll now have to have a surgery and his uh, his whole identity is being a very physical, capable person. So he'll have to, there'll yep. be a lot of things he can't do anymore because of the type of surgery they'll have to apply. Uh, and then, you know, the hip surgery that means that I can't, run anymore or what what do we lose when we go through that processes and those processes and being able to actually reconnect and actually have movement patterns in reintegrated into scars and mm-hmm. things like that from like trapped feelings or trapped experiences that I didn't get to live out yeah and particularly with cesareans unless they're elected not unless but potentially less likely if they're elected Mm-hmm. but women that might have gone in looking for a, a vaginal birth and have had to go to cesarean and it's it's been a smart and safe option but they're grieving the uh, experience yeah. that they didn't get to have and being able to have physical contact with that scar reintegrated into the body and just let that grief come out because often there's a heap of dysfunction around scars um, from a musculoskeletal point of view, but also just physical spaces that people won't access, like it's a dark room so they don't open it or they keep it in the space where it was safe to move yeah. when that surgery first first happened. And then that, that scar just heals in the shape that they would have moved in in any way. So it's, scars are interesting places that feel safe to go in our bodies, um, yeah, and what they've got to do with our stories. and can we reintroduce those movements or is there something that has to, from an emotional level, let go first before we can kind of put ourselves physically into that space? So the dark room's a great analogy because we can assess yeah. someone's gait and go, you know, this, this arm doesn't go here or this hip doesn't go here. Is it a biomechanical chain reaction or is there a reason why we can't move the hip to the right and really load it and take, take force through those sides? Yeah, it's yeah. so interesting. I'm wondering if this conversation will heal the torn ligament that I have in my thumb right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping so. <laughs> That's a tricky one. How tricky. Yeah. Damn what? football. Ah, oh, the heroes game. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. I feel validated. <laughs> Out there being a hero. <laughs> That's what the world thinks of us too. You hear people talking about Aussie rules, though they don't wear helmets and they just hit each other and they play it on gravel and oh yeah. <laughs> the hero's I'm, game. I, I'm curious to know as well, like I think in the space, and I speak mostly for myself, but you know, and generally about conversations I've had with physios and different exercise physiologists, one of the big issues, and it's possibly worse than med- medication, is the level of compliance when people are given exercises and you know training regimes to go away to be able to heal their body fix the injury or to totally you know realign the way that they walk or the way that they hold themselves what what do you think is that is is it just a matter of i'm super busy this is a really unnatural thing for me to do and so it goes by the wayside or do you feel that there's a deeper emotional limitation for that level of compliance cuz you know it might be 
do these 10 times a day, three times, you know, 10, 10, 10 sets uh, for three times a day or whatever it might be. And they get back and they're like, oh, yeah, I kind of thought about it, <laughs> uh, you know, a couple of weeks later. I think they're almost like the best conversations to be having because like there are there's these these magical fairy humans that actually feel motivated towards exercise and it, it's not an issue for them. There's a very small percentage of the population um, and the thing that often motivates people to come and seek out help is pain, but that it's one of the highest motivators, I believe, highest motivator and um, uh, to avoid pain as well as public speaking. I think that's the order of it. Well. I think death actually comes in under there somewhere. <laughs> so the for me it's this idea that it's actually valuable when people come back and they haven't done their exercise because we get to have a really meaningful conversation but also that skill level to figure out at the start when you're meeting people is, you know, are we here because we want to get this better? When we look at your whole life, what's the reality of you doing the thing that I've asked you to do? And if it's unrealistic, what's actually getting in the way and having really meaningful conversations around that. So whether it's mm-hmm. beliefs, whether it's, you know, um, you'd of I have trouble with my boundaries. I say yes to everything because my identity is so hung up with work. You know, something's not going to work if I'm not there. Like where's the place where we want to be? And it, it kind of slides back to this idea about to to generalise it because that's always helpful, is mm-hmm. how uh, how rigid do we hold our values or beliefs or how loosely? And it's usually one or the other. So I come to you and I say I'm committed to what I'm doing but I'm really loose about it. I'm happy to, you know, go off and do something else rather than say, no, I'm sorry, I I need 20 minutes to do my exercise versus I'm too rigid where I'm over in another environment and I'm not willing to say no to things, knowing that it only takes me 20 minutes. Um, So ultimately, what are we doing to bullshit ourselves that when we stand in front of someone and say, I'd like your help with this. And then, you know, when you come back, however many weeks later and you haven't done it, that's the huge opportunity to kind of check in with so not not what what got in the way definitely but when you came you know what value was behind you coming or have you ever checked in with that value and then how you act around it versus when you're being pulled away or hooked by something else that pulls you away you know how does that land it's how's that a workable behavior if you're saying that you don't want to be in pain anymore or you want this to be better and that you truly believe in the process as well. So it's, I think they're great opportunities to check in with people's, yeah, a reality check, you mm-hmm. know, do a little bit of a life audit and go, okay, this is an exercise program, but, and it's in theory simple, but we've also got to wait, got to get through these urges, sensations, feelings, thoughts, memories that will have you go, oh, I should do my exercise, yeah. but stop you from doing it at that choice point in time like what's what's going on in in the noggin that stops you from makes you a bit of a liar because you came and (laughs) said you want to get better (laughs) I think as well one of the one of the tricks and I find this with emotional eating and sugar and food and and even people that have significantly life-threatening diseases that I've worked with like we're all challenged by this kind of stuff and I think one of the things that needs to happen is we've got to be able to answer the question how do I make somebody care about this in a context where it doesn't matter? And what I mean by that is when you're sitting in front of the therapist or whether you're at the PT, with the PT, like it, that's possibly the time in the day where it matters 99% because 
because I'm mm. sitting here talking about it. But when I'm driving the kids yes. to school, it doesn't matter at all. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Or yeah. when I'm sitting yeah. on the couch not thinking about it, it doesn't matter at all. And so we've got to figure out how to enter the conversations where it perceptually do- doesn't seem to matter and make it matter in all of those parts of the day so yeah. that it's like, oh, it does have a you know a compound effect of mattering because my body is the common denominator in all those situations. How do I do what matters? That's, that's, that's kind of it, isn't it? <laughs> that's the whole, Life advice with Maddie Nana. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's interesting too from a clinician's point of view as well because you've got to have an ear for where this person is in their readiness to change as well. Yeah. And I think that's that's a really important skill for someone to have. It's so easiest thing to do, prescribe an exercise, put someone in a box and go, this will work, and then, you know, send them away. Yep. But if you haven't done that human version of it and checked in with how, you know, are you actually here because you want to be here, what's motivate, mo- motivating you and, you know, how do we tap into what matters? And I think most importantly, if I never see you again but I give you something important that will slowly create change and then, you know, you end up seeing someone else but that behaviour piece has been mm-hmm. influenced strongly, I don't mind if this is the only time that we talk as long as that there's been, if I've met you where you're at and said the valid thing at that time, that's what we're after. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I remember when I started in the beginning, I was such a little activist. I was like, <laughs> you've got to change. Oh, my God. Like, Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, can't believe people eat this stuff. And, you know, and I was just such an activist. And then I realized, I was like, oh, I'm pushing people away by, you know, if they're not perfectly ready to respond to that level of insanity that I was putting out there. It's like inspiring. Yeah. Well, but then I realized that it's like, hang on, how many influences did it take or presentations or exposures did it take me to get here? Mm. Going from like scientists working in a hospital, you know, and I don't know, maybe it took me a hundred. And each time I built a little bit more belief that this made sense and a little bit more of like, oh, maybe this is the way to the promised land, you know? Yeah. Um, and so once I really understood that about myself, I was like, oh, just what you're saying. It's like, if I'm just one exposure in the hundred exposures that they need to get there, then I've, I've done my job, you know? Yeah, it sort of it brings back the humanness to what we do rather than, yeah, outcomes because outcomes... Uh, not predictable when we're talking about humans. Muscles are predictable, but not outcomes. That's not why the studies, operators. That's like studies go so well. <laughs> Come here, do this, go away. Oh, it works. Um, yeah. Now you're in reality and, yeah, there seems to be a few curveballs. Well, yeah. I was going to say, speaking about that, um, the, the research study element, like how difficult is it to measure this emotional piece in the context of physiology? and the way that people hold themselves. Like what does what the research space look like with that, that kind of area? Because it feels, you know, I guess people listening might hear it as a bit fluffy you know, mm. and, a, and a bit woo-woo, the kind of stuff we're talking about. So how does that show up in the literature? Um, do you know, I don't feel like, I don't feel strong in the literature with that. This is more the prac, the, the pracademic version yeah. version of me like when you kind of dip over into the you can go over to the psych version of it right so mm-hmm. you can go over there and you can read in you know 
act as acceptance and commitment therapy is helpful for this. And we see brain changes here and like, for example, in um, perimenopause, for example, Mm -hmm. they look at hot flushes and they look at mindfulness and that we can change the intensity and the frequency of hot flushes by someone just practicing mindfulness. So it's, it's kind of like the inside out or the outside in version. So I don't, I'm not sure how much it's been crossed over. I'm sure it would be a European version study. Like we yeah. don't, like that's what I love the most about um, uh, learning with Robert Schlepp, the, the fascial um, fellow, is that he would use words in uh, anatomy explanations that didn't exist in Australia and they were often movement or connection-based things. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, if the research is there and pinning down, I feel motivated now I'm adding it to my adding it to my list, um, that it, it would be in very that very European style of yes. conversations with body and the way we do research research over there. I think there's still that very much the separation separation of ideas into muscles versus this versus that in, yeah. in the research space. But and then we can go to exercise and we can look at what exercise benefits, mm-hmm. you know, that same topic of um, hot flushes and we see benefits there as well. But it's, it's not to say one's the right thing to do and one's not. It's that there's going to be a commonality in there and that these two things are influencing that one common thing in a particular way, which in theory is, you know, experience of how do we feel about how we're feeling and um, regulating breathing, probably vagal nerve-based stuff, to be, to be honest. So I'd, I don't know if that's that hasn't answered your question at all, but I don't feel across the, you know, particular studies that look at posture and emotion and how it manifests. I'm, I'm going to go and look, though. I'm gonna yeah, look. well, I, I think I, I've done very much the same thing with emotion, you know, sort of getting to a place where working on emotional binge overeating relationship with food yeah. is that, it's, you know, I went on my own sort of mental health trauma journey and learned a heap of stuff there and read a heap of psychology textbooks trying to figure myself out um, mm. and then understanding the people around me as well with that information. Then the medical, you know, sort of science, nutrition information and being like, oh, I can see how these go together. Mesh. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then and that's like the, the pracademic thing you said before. It's like sort of a bit of academia from over here and a bit of academia from over here and then put it together in practice. And, and when, and the, you know, when you're sitting in front of humans, it, you can't miss the human element, which is, you know, this, you know, fluctuating variable of all sorts of, you know, different experiences and ideas and thoughts and words and expressions. And it doesn't fit into a category and you've got to work with what's in front of you, which doesn't necessarily just slot into, Oh, this study says this. So this is the answer. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's a common term in, you know, in allied health worlds and it's like research to practice. I think it should be the other way around mm. pra- practice to research. And cause that's ultimately where it all comes from. We start seeing this on repeat yep. and then that's where the, where the research comes, but we always talk about it, you know, research to practice and you're like, okay. <laughs> Yeah. The other way around. Well, that's, that's kind of what I like about the history of things like Chinese medicine, and Ayurvedic medicine. Uh, and I, I know that they, those things were very much developed well before ethics and morals were, yeah. you know, <laughs> at the standard they are today. So there's a lot of things that we can't do because we're putting people at risk, um, you know, with unknown outcomes. But um, But it makes a lot more sense if we just started collecting anecdotes and that was the method of 
being like, oh, clearly this is a topic we need to research because there's doctors all over the world or you know, exercise physiologists all over the world that are saying, oh, we keep seeing this or we've seen this the whole time and nobody's ever studied it, you know? Yeah. I love uh, Norman Deutsch said, if uh, you show me one pig that can fly, don't ask for two. <laughs> That's good. I'm going to use that. Yeah, it's something like that. You can go and go. I hope you can um, Google it. But he said it in a talk. But I'm sure it's um, the exact is is Googleable. Love the yeah. internet. Yeah. Um, so where can everybody find you and all your stuff and get more of you on the interwebs? Love me. Uh, my website is Anna Movement, so mm-hmm. AnnaMovement.com, and on there you'll find masterclasses and things like that. Got a beautiful program coming out with a nutrition-based um, uh, person, uh, Cheryl Carroll, who we've created a program to hopefully support anyone going through perimenopause. Uh, that's called Shapeshifters and that's coming out. We were released in the middle of um, June after lots of hard work. How exciting. Um, yeah, and, you know, contact for speaking and all that kind of stuff can come through uh, my website. Yep. And then our friend Instagram, uh, I'm, I think I'm Anna.movement. Mm-hmm. And then um, mo- uh, Facebook, if that's your if that's your version, um, is just Anna Movement, but it's the same content. So just pick your, pick your platform. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's that's me and where to look. Um, so if people are interested in chatting, it's always nice to hear how people are going, what resonates. Um, and as we spoke about this at the start, Maddie, like we've got these amazing networks. Like you might something might resonate, but you never work with me. But there's a question and you're like, oh, my God, go and talk to this person. They've got everything you need. Mm-hmm. And it really feels thorough being able to be that person where you're almost like a triage yeah. person. You know, I might not be your person, but something I've said, you know, might unlock something that, you know, you just need to help redirecting where to get that where to get that input from, especially yeah, now that we're in front of people, right? We can get face-to-face yeah. now. Oh, how refreshing is getting face-to-face again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me feel where those bones are. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I'll put all of those links in the show notes below so that everybody can come and get your stuff. Um, and surely there'll be plenty because you have a very calm, grounded presence, which is really relaxing to communicate with and be around. So I appreciate you being here. Um, and I, for anybody that's enjoyed this episode or you think somebody needs to hear it, give it a share, send it over, blame me for any uh, tricky conversations that come up. That's totally fine. Um, yeah. And before we wrap up, what is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about? Uh, I think the key to consistency in your health is self-awareness. You know, meet yourself where you're at, get some, you know, you keep doing the same things over and over. That's not a, um, that's not by chance. That's the stuff you should be focusing on. And it's often not a written program. It's not getting, uh, you know, a gym membership or something like that. It's um, getting to know yourself so you can figure out what matters. And that really does lead to health. Wonderful. Thanks so much for being here. Pleasure, Maddie. I really loved it. Yeah, we'll have to get you on again soon. Yeah, talk all the things. Absolutely. All right, we'll catch you soon though. Thanks, Maddie. Bye. Bye, everyone. 
Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.